Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now for a message from a special guest. Amen. Well, isn't that what we believe? That everybody's worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, it's great to be with you here today. My name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration. But I do not get to uh, preach this morning. We're starting a new series next week, so you want to be here for that as well. Today, uh, we've got, as we've launched the first crew on the cultural trip, and uh, with the Ukrainian refugees, we have one of our global missionaries here with us today, Darth and his wife, Tita. I just want to recognize her this morning. Would you stand, Tita, here this morning? We say God bless you, and uh, so honored that you're here. Darth is going to come and share in a moment, so we'll recognize him as well. But how many people had a dad that exaggerated stories when you grew up? Mine, uh, we, we, I grew up in Seattle, and my dad told me about places. He's from Ohio, and he said, growing up, he had to walk uphill to school both ways in the snow. That might have been true in Minnesota, but here's how I know it's a lie. There's no uphill. Um, that's funny, because everything's flat here. Okay, never mind. Tough crowd here this morning, Darth, by the way. Um, my dad exaggerated stories, and I know if you grew up in a setting like that, you might feel when you hear some extreme stories that there's exaggeration going on. I want you to know up front, what Darth, Darth is about to share with us is no exaggeration. He survived, as only a few dozen kids survived the killing fields of Cambodia, as he's going to share, from the evil Pol Pot regime, came here to Minnesota to as a refugee and actually a lady who was a member at a church in St. Paul, Summit Church. And by the way, uh, Elizabeth, I don't know if you're alive yet, but I just noticed we should probably get you guys together. Elizabeth's dad was the youth pastor at that church when Darth gave his heart to Jesus Christ. So I want you to know that everything you hear today is totally true. Uh, if you don't have Kleenex, this would be a good time to grab it. Just fair warning, uh, no matter how many times I hear the story, even Darth grabbed himself a couple of Kleenexes here this morning, and um, we're going to hear what God has done in Darth's life, what he is doing in the lives of those in Cambodia, and we're going to pray for what he is going to do in the years ahead. When he's done sharing, we'll have opportunity to respond spiritually and ask God to move in our lives, and then we'll also have opportunity to partner with him as we have been for the the initiatives that they're there as we believe that God calls men and women. Remember as a church, maybe if you're newer, this is news to you. I'll remind you next week. As a church, we're praying in the next decade for God to send out at least eight families from our church to serve him around the world as full-time career missionaries as Darth and his wife are. And so we're so excited to be here today. The Lees are truly some of my heroes whom have said yes to the Lord Jesus had every opportunity to say no, but God's hand has been on their lives. Would you welcome my hero, Darth Lee, here this morning? Thank you so much, Pastor Derek. Thank you for your friendship and your partnership. We appreciate you. Good morning, Celebration Church. So good to see you, Elizabeth. We're just so honored to, to be here and to come and share our story and what God has called us to do in the country of Cambodia. Uh, we've been serving in Cambodia for the past 28 years, planning churches, training pastors and church leaders, but also ministering to the physical needs of the people through building and running schools. And one of our schools, as you can see on the video, there's our floating school. There are so many children in Cambodia yet have an opportunity to go to school. But the ones at our school, they have an opportunity to come and learn how to read and write, to receive nutrition, but more importantly, to heal the love of Jesus Christ for them and their families. Yeah. And through that, through the name of Jesus Christ, he's touching their hearts and changing their lives for his glory. As Pastor mentioned, Cambodia today is known as the land of the killing fields, but today it is a new day. God is changing the killing fields of Cambodia into fields of living soul for his glory. And thank you for your partnership. Thank you for allowing us to be your extended hand, reaching out to the broken and unreached people 
of Cambodia. We love and appreciate you folks. And as I mentioned, it's so good to be back here. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And we'll be reading from verses 4 to 10, and then skip down to verses 30 to 35, please, if you would. And as you're opening your Bible or turn on your app, let me say this, and I said this in the early service, that I'm at the age right now where I need reading glasses. But as you can see, I've yet to submit to that, that need. Um, I'm fighting it. And so <laughs> this morning, I might be stumbling in my reading. If that is the case, uh, well, it can be a number of things. But one of those things might be I can't see. My Bible is quite small in terms of the print, but I can see it on the screen in the back there. But, uh, you know, you can't change turn back time, but God is good. So the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 to 10 and 30 to 30, 35, please, if you would. Now we had to go through Samaria. So he came to town in Samaria called Saka, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Skip down to verse 30, please. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. You know, folks, when I read this portion of Scripture, I'm reminded of the places that I get to travel to in the country of Cambodia, all across that country, these villages, small towns across that country, because for us in Cambodia, we, for the most part, we do not have running water. The concept of running water to us means that somebody runs with a bucket of water. <laughs> and in these places, in so many places, we don't have enough wells to even provide water for everybody. And so early in the morning, especially the ladies, would get up early in the morning and wait in line for an opportunity to draw a bucket of water that would provide for the needs of their family of that day. And as I traveled to those places, I would go to the wells and, and share Christ with them. And as I was doing so, so many times I couldn't help but be reminded of thinking of what our Lord Jesus Christ did so long ago as we read in the Gospel of John chapter 4 this morning. But this morning I would like to draw your attention to verse 4, that short sentence. As Scripture tells us, now we had to go through Samaria. When I read those words, I asked the question, why? Yes, Jesus said he had to go from Judea and up to uh, north to Galilee and Samaria, located in between those two towns. But Jesus didn't have to walk through Samaria. There were other routes that he could have taken for the fact that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Matter of fact, that, that's what the other Jews did. They walk around that Samaritan town. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. I believe it's more than a geographical location or destination for Jesus. I believe it was a divine appointment because Jesus knew there will be a woman waiting for him at that well. A woman that was confused, abused by the enemy, and was lost and living in hopelessness. And Jesus had declared that he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. Yeah. And for that purpose, our Lord Jesus Christ intentionally walked through that Samaritan town. In a sense, he chose to walk through that broken place. And as he did then, he continues to do so today all across our world where so many people are hurting. So many people are broken because that's what the enemy does, bring brokenness. 
when we speak of the broken places, I think Cambodia ranks at the very top because Cambodia today continues to suffer in so many ways. It still is one of the poorest countries in that part of the world and has all kinds of problems from landmines to human trafficking. But the suffering of the people of that small nation goes a long way back. 45 years ago, a radical communist known as the Khmer Rouge took power of that nation, led by, as Pastor Derek mentioned, by the leader named Pol Pot. When Pol Pot came to power, he wanted to turn Cambodia into some kind of agrarian utopia communist state. And to, to accomplish that purpose, he systematically murdered one third of the population. The genocide that took place in Cambodia later came to be known as the Killing Fields. It's comparable to the Holocaust. As soon as they took control of the country, they marched people out from their homes out into the countryside, and all the towns and cities were turned into ghost towns. And people were marched out into the countryside, and then they abolished all institutions. Closed down market, temples, hospitals, people were separated from each other. Children were taken away from their husbands, I mean, parents, husbands and wives were separated from their wives, uh, from each other, and were sent into different labor camps. They were forced to work in the rice paddies from sunup to sundown without food. And then they round people up those that connected with the previous government and those that were received by them to be educated. If you wear glasses, you and your entire family were among the first ones to be rounded up and, and slaughtered. They have a saying that people's life is not worth a bullet, and so they would not waste a bullet to shoot and kill, but rather they came up with just demonics and just demonic ways of tortures and killings. They would take people by the thousands and force them to dig these mass graves and they would line them up in rows and they would take the back of their AK-47 and hit the back of the people's head one at a time and many were still alive. They would kick them or push them into these mass graves and then bury them alive. They would take people and then cut open their chest and rip out their heart and then held it in their hand and showed them to those that were waiting for their turn. They would take a knife and slash off flesh of, of people's body one piece at a time. They would take mothers with their babies and tie the mother and force them to watch as they would take the baby and throw them up in the air and wait with a bayonet at the end of their AK-47. Sometimes they would take this baby and they would take them by their feet and smash their skulls against the trunk of a tree and then toss them into this mass grave and bury them with their yet still alive mother. If you go to Cambodia today, I can take you to places there are trees still standing. If you go and look, you look close, you can still see the blood stain because of what happened. And those that survived would have a story to tell a story how they lost their mother, their father, their brothers, sisters, even the entire family. But what the enemy intended for evil, God had turned that for good to accomplish his purpose because he walks in the broken places of this world. Because he does, there's the church of Jesus Christ is being planted and the gate of hell shall not prevail. Yes, yes. As I share the story of Cambodia, I share my own story because I was seven years old when the Khmer Rouge took power and we were living in the, in the capital city at the time. And I can still remember today as they march us out with only the clothes on our backs, there's tanks behind us. These masters of humanity were pushed in one direction out from the city out into the countryside. And I remember seeing corpses on the side of the road and I didn't understand what was happening, but what had happened, they were killed because they refused to move or, or didn't obey their directions of the, of the Khmer Rouge. But for us, we were marched out 
And once we were out far enough from the city, they came and they round us up and put us in military trucks and shipped us across the country to the place where they wanted us. We traveled all night without food and water. And once we got to the place where they wanted us, they came and they removed me from my mother. They yanked me from my mother because I was so afraid, so scared. I was hanging on to my mother's leg and they simply physically removed me from my mother and put me on a cart, ox carts with other children and shipped me and sent me to a labor camp for children ages from about 7 to 11, 12 years old. And my mother and uh, other relatives went to different labor camps in that area. But the labor camps that I was in, as I mentioned, was for children. But even as children, they forced us to work in the rice paddies as they forced us to dig channels and build dikes across the rice paddies that served no real purpose other than to uh, work us to death, to occupy that time. And for food, we were giving one small cup of rice water. They put a handful of rice in a big pot and fill that with water and boil that in each child got one small cup of that. And so masses of children died from overwork and starvation. And I was able to stay alive by eating different kinds of leaves and insects and grass roots to stay alive. But the thing was, in addition to the starvations and the forced labor, they would torture us. Every day around noon, when it's the hottest time of the day, they would tell us to sit in, in the mud, in the rice paddies, and they would come by these guards, these soldiers, they would come by and they would ran, randomly select a handful of children, six, seven of us at a time, and they would bring those to the front. And those of us who were not being selected were forced to watch as they would torture and kill these children, as they would tie them up and they would take plastic bags and put over their faces and suffocate them and kill them, and we were forced to wash their faces as they would take a, a knife and cut open their chest and rip out their heart and, and held it in their hand and said, you will be next. As they would take pliers and pull off their fingernails and toenails and sometimes pour salt on the wounds just to make the pain more painful. And they have a saying that to kill you is no loss, to keep you is no gain. And they said that over and over again. They tortured me several times. One time while I was working in the rice paddies, and to stay alive, I was looking around for something to eat in the form of, like I've said, different kinds of grass roots that we know that we could eat and different kinds of insects. And so one day I saw a snail bobbing right next to me, and before the other children could get their hands on the snail, and because I was the closest, I was able to pick it up and I know that the guards were watching me and they would kill me if I eat the snail because that was against the rule. But at that point, the hunger was so intense, I didn't care anymore whether they would kill me or not. So I ate the snail and sure enough, these guards, they were just kids themselves, 15, 16 year old kids. They were the children of the Khmer Rouge. And they came and they carried the, uh, the AK-47, but along with that, they carried the bam uh, bamboo canes that they used to beat the kids with, and so they beat me with the canes and then tied my feet together and my arms behind my back and continued to beat me into the mud. And then they dragged me across that rice paddies to the place that we would normally come to sleep at night. It's about a half a mile away. They dragged me, once we got to that place, they found a tree that was full of these red ants. And they tied me against that tree and left me there waited until the rest of the children came back. And once the children came back at night, they untied me from the tree, but my feet and arms were still bound together. And they, they forced the children to make a circle around me and they placed me in the middle of the circle. And then they forced the children to come up one at a time, saying that what I did was against the rules that they, the children, they would not follow my example. And after they said that, they forced the children to beat me to kick and stomped on me, and I would fall, and they stood me up, and the next child would come and repeat the process. Somewhere through that, in the midst of that, I was unconscious. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came to it, I remember the pain on my body and the, the thirst, this incredible thirst, and so I crawled to the edge of that ground, that high ground where we was, that they were beating me on, to the edge of the 
the rice paddies to get some water. And they realized that I was still alive. And so they came back and they beat me some more. And they said, next time we will finish you out. But what they didn't know, there is a God who walks in the broken places of this world. Yes. He came to preach good news to the poor and to set the captive free. And against all odds, and I don't know why, beyond my understanding, God kept his hand on my life. And in that labor camp, folks, to begin with, we had over 2,000 children. But four years later, less than 50 children were still standing. At that point, those of us that were still alive, we were so emaciated, we couldn't walk, much less work, but they dragged us and left us to die in the rice paddies. And so one day, bombs exploded, guns went off, and we didn't know what was happening, but what had happened was the Vietnamese, the, the neighboring country was invading Cambodia, and they were fighting with the Khmer Rouge, and so those of us that had enough strength, we found a hole in the ground to hide, and we crawled in there, and then just for a couple hours when the shooting had stopped, when the bomb had stopped exploding, we crawled out and looked around and noticed that the guards, they ran away. And the Vietnamese, they didn't stop, they just kept going, and so we were left to fend for ourselves. And those of us that had enough strength, we thought perhaps we can find other people that survived. And so we walked to a, a village, to a town that we, we know. And when I got to that place, we saw other people that had survived, and they were coming up from the different labor camps. And all of us were just walking skeletons. We couldn't walk very far, and so we would sit on the side of the road waiting for something to happen, waiting for somebody to come and help us. And so as I was sitting on the side of a dirt road and waiting, there was a woman who walked past. And as she walked past me, she stopped, and she turned around and asked what my name is. And after I told her, she said, she's my sister. And then she told me that they forced her to watch as they torture and kill her three children. And later she learned that they killed her husband in a different labor camp. And so out of a family of five, she was the only one to survive. So she was so glad to find a family member that had survived. And so she, I, I stayed with her. And, and then there was a group of us, about 100 or so people, and we were tr trying to find food and trying to figure out what to do. And so somebody within that group said, perhaps we can escape. Perhaps we can walk to Thailand. And so one night we made the journey, walking from where we were headed west towards Thailand. It's about 200 miles away from where we were to the borders. But the thing was, we had to walk at night and walk across a jungle that was, and it still is, infested with landmines. And as the people would walk in front of me and they would step on these landmines, and of course they would go off and I would hide. And after a couple hours that passed when the, the smoke had cleared, when the screaming had somewhat died down, we would crawl out and look around us and notice there would be Several people would get their limb blown off by, by these landmines. And these what they call anti-personal landmines. They were intended to maim, not so much to kill. And so many times the people were still alive. They were bleeding and pleading for help, and we couldn't help them. I'd actually walk on top of them because I couldn't walk around them as they're laying there pleading for help. And because the people in the back just keep pressing on, and so I have to keep on moving. And every night, this would happen. But those of us that were still standing eventually got to Thailand. And at that point, the group was reduced to less than 25 people out of 100 or so people. And by the time we got to Thailand, at that point, the world had heard what happened in Cambodia, the genocide that took place in that country. And so they were able to set, refugee, set up refugee camps along the borders. And they sent us into the camps. And they gave us some tarp and some rice. And then they asked different countries to take in refugees. And through that, I was able to come to Minnesota at the age of 11 years old as an orphan refugee. But as the Lord would have it, they put me in a foster home, and my foster mother attended Summit of Summit of God. And through that, and, and through her love and the love of the people of that church, at the age of 14 years old, at Lake Geneva Bible Camp, I gave my life to the Lord. Yes. And I share that story with you folks this morning for one reason, that is because Jesus walks in the broken places of this world, because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free, and he set me free.
Because once I got to Minnesota, once all the physical needs were met, the, the trauma, the nightmare would show up. I would be awake in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because of what happened to me. And I didn't have the words to even express that to my foster mother. I didn't have the words to, to tell anybody, and so I would suffer in silence. But once I gave my heart to the Lord, and I, I was one day, a couple months had passed when I was sitting, and I realized that the nightmares had gone. I didn't have to deal with that anymore because he came to set the captive free, and he set me free. Yes. And he continues to do so today all across our world. And he can't do so for you today as well. You know, folks, in the Gospel of John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the woman and the disciples came back from the town and they saw Jesus was talking and they were concerned for his well-being and they said, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus responded, he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, four months more until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. The disciples, they were not walking around with their eyes closed. Physical eyes, anyway. But they missed what Jesus was seeing. What Jesus was seeing was the brokenness of the people before him. You know, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. But none of those physical needs of him could delay him even for a moment from ministering to the people before him because he saw the real brokenness in their lives, the hopelessness, and, and the, what the enemy had a, attempted and tried to do in their lives. And God said, he desired that none should perish. And so Jesus was moved to do that, to respond. And he calls the disciple to open their eyes. And as he called them then, he calls us today to open our eyes to those that are broken, to those that are in need of a Savior all around us. The Lord had opened my eyes in the most dramatic ways because in 1991, the country of Cambodia opened its door to the outside world. And the Assembly of God as a fellowship uh, we were able to get missionary on the ground because in 1991, uh, the UNs were able to get the different factions to agree to, after the genocide, there was civil war, to agree to hold an election and stop fighting. And so due to that, the country opened up. And as I've said, the Son of God, we, we wanted to put missionary on the ground right away. And so they transferred three, three missionary families, through from the, uh, two from the Philippines and one from... Thailand, and among those three missionary families, one was from Minnesota. He was from my home church, and uh, because of the relationship that we have, once they got to Cambodia, they were just overwhelmed with the needs of that country, and they, they didn't speak the language yet at that point, so they, they didn't know what to do. I, they wrote a letter asking if I was willing to return to Cambodia just for a short time to help them, and folks, I said no no way that I would go back to Cambodia because I wanted to put that, that part of my life behind me and I want to move on and I just wanted to be normal. I was thankful that God had touched and healed me, but I just wanted to be, like I've said, normal. By the way, I don't know what normal is, but, but whatever it is, I just wanted to put that part of my life behind me and I want to move on. But, but this missionary friend kept on asking and so the letters keep coming and so I reasoned perhaps I could go back to Cambodia and bring a closure to that part of my life and I can come back to Minnesota. And so I agreed to go and so I went in 1992. As soon as I set foot in that country once again, the memories surfaced. The memories that I tried so hard to put behind me and to suppress down once again surfaced in my conscious mind and I thought about my mother whom I was separated by the age of seven years old by the Khmer Rouge. I didn't know whether she was dead or alive. But with the help of this missionary friend, we searched to look for my mother, and a little bit over two weeks later, we located her, we found her. And when I went to meet my mother, for the, for the first time after the so many years of separation, what I saw was a frail, sick, broken woman. She could hardly walk. And after the emotional impact of the moment and after all the crimes, when 
we get to, to talk, she started to share with me about her own suffering, of how she was tortured so many times. She showed me the, the scars in her body and she told me she didn't have enough food to eat from day to day, even up to the point I was talking to her. And so I just sat there and listened, listened as she talked, one story after another. The following day, my mother excused herself from talking to me, and she went and cooked a little bit of rice that she had saved up. And as I mentioned, she didn't have enough rice to eat from day to day. But on that day, she saved a handful of rice, when she finished cooking that rice, I saw a group of Buddhist monks walk the street. And then they turned around and they came back and they were standing in front of my mother's place there. And then my mother got up and scooped the rice from the pot and put it in a little bowl. And she walked out to meet the Buddhist monks. And as I watched from behind, when she got to the monks, she put the bowl on the ground on the dirt and then she slowly bent down and got on her knees and then she bowed before them three times and then stood up once again and then picked up the rice bowl and scooped the rice and put it in the bowls of the monks. And then once again kneeled down before them and they chanted over her and then they quickly moved on to the next house and my mother walked back. And as she was walking back to me, she put the rice bowl on that bamboo bed I was sitting on. And I looked at her and I said, Mother, why didn't you eat the rice? Why did you have to give to the Buddhist monks? You didn't have enough rice to eat. Why did you have to give to them? And at that point, she started to cry. And tears running down her face, she looked at me. She said, Son, I have known so much suffering in my life. I have no hope of living anymore. And then she said, I think I'm going to die soon. And I believed her. And she said, my only hope right now is that I would give enough rice to the Buddhist monks that when I die and reincarnate again, reborn again, that I will not come back and live the life I'm living today. And folks, as a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing what I know, here was a woman, my mother, who had lived through so much suffering in her life, Yet the only hope that she had at that moment was a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. I understand why Jesus said what he said. Open your eyes. I understand why Jesus did not take the moment to just even rest and, and, and feed himself. Why Jesus said, open your eyes. It seemed at that moment in the form of my mother, the Lord had given me a piece of his heart for those that were lost. And he said, open your eyes. And it was overwhelming. As I lay on that bamboo bed and as my mother burned the incense in this little altar that she had above my head and I lay there and I plead to the Lord and I said, Holy God, Holy God, please do something. My God, I don't know how, I don't know what, but please do something to help my mother. And then the realizations that every person in that country, every man, woman, every child was in that same condition as my mother. And I plead, Lord, please do something. And the Holy Spirit responded and said, yes, yes, Jesus had done it all on the cross. Because he came to preach good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And I can do something. I can give the message of hope and salvation to my mother and the people of Cambodia. And friends, we can do something. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with the needs all around us. And sometimes we said, Lord, I can't do anything, but we can do something. We can give Jesus Christ because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And the answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, I left Cambodia a little bit over a month later and wanted to forget about that part of my life. The Lord wouldn't let it go. The callings would not leave. And so in 1996, my wife and I, we returned to Cambodia with our first child as missionaries. And we were asked to run an orphanage. It was one of the most difficult tasks that I had to do. Because
because in our orphanage we had limited capacity in terms of space and resources where we can properly care for the, for the children. But yet every day the people would come and these ladies, they would come and they would bring these babies to us and they wanted us to take the baby into the orphanage. And for the most part, we couldn't do that. Like, like I said, we were beyond our capacity. And so I, was ha I would have to send them away knowing that their chances for survival was with us. But we couldn't take them all in, so in a sense, I was asked to decide which child gets to live and which child gets to die. It was an impossible task. One of those days, as I showed up, there was a woman waiting for me at the gate. And I know what was waiting for me. And before I could set foot into the orphanage ground, this woman put a bundle of dirty blankets at my feet. And I know what was in that so before she could say anything, I cut her off and I said, we cannot take another baby. Please take that baby to another orphanage. Maybe they can, they can take him in. But this woman did something that I was not prepared for. There before me, she got on her knees and she literally bowed before me. And with free arms, she wrapped her arms around my legs and she wouldn't let me walk away into the and so I was forced to look at her, and as I looked at her, I looked into a face of a little baby boy, a little bit over two weeks. And he was so emaciated that his eyes had literally sunk in, and he couldn't even open his mouth to cry. Just barely cling on to life. And as this woman looked up, and she explained to me that she's not the mother, that the mother had died in the process of giving giving birth to the child, and, and she was just a neighbor, and she didn't have enough money to buy proper formula for the, for the baby, and all she could afford was a little sweetened condensed milk, mixed it in water, and fed to the baby, and I, I said, we just barely cling on to life. So in the face of that, we, we did the only thing we could. We, we accepted him, we took him in, and all the staff, we wanted so much for him to live. And I prayed for him. And I pleaded with the Lord. And I said, help him, Lord. Help him. He needs your help. But sometimes, you know, God has other plans. And that was the case for that child, that, that baby who passed. And I was just broken, just heartbroken. Because it seems that all the struggles and all the challenges for us came to symbolize in that one baby. And he did not make it. And I was so discouraged. But it was upon me to find a place to, uh, to bury him. And in, in that country, in that culture, it's very hard to do because it's a Buddhist country. And in that Buddhist country, when somebody dies, the family would take the body to the Buddhist temple and they would have a Buddhist ceremony and they would do a cremation at the temple. But they wouldn't let us do that because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And so I was stuck with this baby, and, and I didn't know what to do, and so uh, some of the staff told me that to, to go and ask the government if they would give us a piece of land where we can bury him, and so I went to the government official, and at first they said no, but after pleading with them several times, they finally understood our situation, and so they gave me a piece of land on top of a hill, overlooked the entire town. It was a beautiful sight, and so I sent the older boys up there to dig a hole, and after they finished, all of us went up there, and we stood around that grave site. And now we lay this baby down. I asked the staff to lead the children to some singing, and when they finished, they turned to me, and I pick up my Bible, and I open to the book of Psalms to read as a, to officiate the, the funeral. But as soon as I opened my mouth to read a loud, demonic Buddhist chanting sound came on and the sound was so loud that it just drowned me out and it seems that the sky had opened up and this chanting was pour upon us from the sky and and uh, we didn't know what to do I just stood there because what happened was right next to us just down the hill a little bit there was a temple and they put a big megaphone and broadcast this chanting for all to hear and we were standing right next to it 
And as the staff looked at me and the rest of the children looked at me and, and wanted me to give them directions, I didn't know what to do. And I just stood there, felt sorry for myself. And I, I just said, Lord, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. It's so hard, so difficult. I want to go back home. I want to go back to Minnesota. As soon as I said that, the Holy Spirit prompted me to look to the temple. And so I looked to the temple to where that sound was coming from. And what I saw was the people. There were several hundred people. They were walking from the village to the temple and they were bringing food to the monks at the temple. And, and once again, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the Gospel of John chapter 4. And he said, open your eyes. While I was standing up top of that hill, bury that little child, the enemy buries hundreds of people. They were marching to eternal grave without the slightest knowledge of who Jesus is. And the enemy is mocking God with his chanting. And those folks, it was overwhelming. I didn't know what to do. I just stood there and I had my head down and I cried. And there was a little girl standing next to me and she tucked on my arm a couple of times before I can gather myself. And once I gather myself and looked at her and she looked up and she said, Papa, Papa, please don't cry. We will see him in heaven. But the thing is, her words echo louder in my mind, louder than this chanting. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, don't you cry because you will indeed see him in heaven. But those people as well, if you do the things that I've called you to do because Jesus came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free and he will set them free. All you have to do is obey me. Yes, the need is great. Everywhere we turn, people are hurting. Even in our own lives, the enemy had intended for evil in our lives. And we're, perhaps some of you sitting here today are broken. But Jesus came and he can set you free this morning. And he can set others free as well. Calls us as his followers. All we need to do is just respond in the direction and the manner that calls us. All he wants is obedience, not so much our ability. And this morning, would you do that? Would you allow the Lord to open your eyes? And would you be willing to say, Yes, God? I don't know how, I don't know what, but I will obey. Whether that in the form of coming up to the front to allow the Lord to, to heal you or to say, yes, I will go. I will do what you ask of me. Would you bow your hearts with me, please? Would, I, would the worship team also come? as we spent the next moment as in closing. Holy God, I thank you so much that you continue to walk in the broken places of our world, to touch broken lives. And this morning, Lord, perhaps some of us sitting here this morning are broken because the enemy intended that way and he wanted that. And today, Lord, I pray that you would set your people free, that you would bring hope to the, to the hopelessness condition and situations in our lives, that you would restore what the enemy had taken. We thank you, Lord. Friends, would you, would you take a moment and come to the front as we spend, I will spend this next couple moments. If you're, if you're broken, I want to, to pray with you. And if you're saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not broken to heal me, would you also come and say, Lord, open my eyes and help me to, to see those that are broken all around me and give me the, the courage to step out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Would you do that, please? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
you, my God, that you continue to walk in the broken places. Lord, touch the people this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would touch your people and bring healings to the, to the places that, that the enemy tries so hard to, to destroy, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Pastor Derek, would you come? You know, in a few minutes, we'll respond and our financial support for what God is doing, but every project comes and goes and money is spent, but I think let's just make a, a spiritual offering. Let's just offer ourselves here today to the Lord, to things that he's asked us to do. Many of us would, are being reminded in these moments of what he's already asked of us, and we need to renew our yes to him this morning. Or maybe he'll speak new things to us in these moments, in these altar moments of sacrificing ourselves, our dreams, our desires, our surrender, just saying, God, would you speak to us? And we're going to ask before we open any wallet or anything like that, that we just open our lives, our hearts, to what God wants to do here today. So let's make this our declaration, each and every person here today, in these moments, in the room and watching online, let's offer ourselves to Him this morning. You know, these are our moments of surrender. In a moment, I'm gonna have Darth pray for us. And these next 10 years as we're endeavoring to see at least eight families called. Elizabeth, I'm actually gonna ask you to pray too so you can just prepare yourself at this point. We're praying for at least eight families for God to tap, to call. Really eight families to say yes to that call to go and serve around the world. In a moment, I'm gonna have Darth pray for us that, that many would hear that call and simply say yes. But I'm also gonna have Elizabeth pray whose dad was the youth pastor at Summit Church in St. Paul who was used there in Darth's life, but, but I'm gonna have Elizabeth pray for those, maybe you say, you know what, I don't know if I'm one of those eight, but we're all gonna say, God, would you speak to us? But there's also people that we need to pray like that foster mom that just said, you know what, I'll say yes to an orphan refugee. I doubt that lady knew the plans that God had for Darth's life. And yet she simply said, you know what? I'll do what I can do. And decades later, we're now seeing 3,000 kids every day in school being fed, hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. This next year, they're gonna plant three churches. We get to be part of what's happening. But so in a moment, we're gonna pray for all of us that we say, God, is that us? And whoever it is that we know he's speaking to, let's say yes over these years, but we're also gonna pray. I'm gonna have Elizabeth pray first for all of us to do what we can across the street. We're, we're not gonna skip praying for around the world, but, but really it begins across the street. How we're living our lives right now in these moments with the opportunities that come to us. And so Elizabeth, would you pray that all of us would simply say yes, like she did to whatever it is that God brings to our doorstep, to our neighborhood, to our community, because it begins with that yes, and eventually it sends the gospel around the world. So Elizabeth, would you just pray for us that we would live our lives with that yes here across the street? Lord, we thank you that you have resourced us, that you have given us opportunities, and today we open that up to you. Lord, we give it all to you for whoever you would put in our path whether it's the person that sits next to us, someone we meet in passing. Jesus, open our eyes to how we can use every bit of resource that we have, every available space that we have, Lord, that we would open it and be available to use it for your glory. And Jesus, I pray that our light would shine, our hope would be contagious, Lord, that you would break down the barriers, that we would not be held back by fear or not wanting to impose on people. But Lord, I pray that our yes would open doors for other people to say yes to you, for other people to experience a hospitality that brings healing, Lord, for other people to experience a generosity that builds faith in them. Jesus, we give it all to you and we say yes today, Lord. We say yes in a way that when you bring people to us, we will respond and we will be the ones to bring hope to them. 
We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you have a mission for us if we would open our eyes and say yes to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We say yes. And now, Dorothy, if you'd pray for us as we're endeavoring as part of this MM33 over the next 10 years, at least eight families. I personally think God's gonna call even more, but we're believing initially for, for eight families to say yes. Probably none of us will battle the difficulty that you face to go back to the land you were born in, back to the land you suffered so much through, back to the land where so much pain and hurt. But you said yes because God called you. So would you pray on behalf of all of us for at least those eight, but, but I believe even more that we'll say yes in the years ahead to serve him around the world as, as those missionaries. Holy God, you know each and every one of us. You have created us in the uh, uh, scriptures of us in, uh, in our innermost being, Lord, you bind us together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would speak to those that you have selected for your purpose, Lord. Lord, as Pastor Derek had mentioned, they, won, uh, they had a vision for eight families, but Lord, as you said, the harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers are few. Lord, I pray that you would call more than eight, that you would call multitude of your people who are willing to go out and say, yes, I will step down. I don't know what to do. I don't have the resources, but I will trust God and I will step out on the water and as they do so. Lord, I pray that you will provide, that you will meet every need that they will need. Lord, that you would empower them through your Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that the lame will walk, that the blind will see. Lord, that people will run after you because of your people faithfulness, Lord. Lord, I pray for the Celebration Church, Lord, under the leadership of Pastor Derek. Lord, I pray that you will continue to empower him, continue to provide visions that they would uh, go for and change not only Minnesota, but all across our world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week.